Good day, and welcome to the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for people living in the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. Today's Pandemi story comes from Mo in Ontario's Waterloo region. Mo doesn't mince words while talking with Dave about the many faces of the Pandemi while the world is experiencing climate change. She discusses the cost of industrial meat production, habitat destruction, and equality. Mo and Dave debate the merits of his ethical meat project, Buttercup, and discuss the importance of protecting the wild places for future generations. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pandemic Show. It's Wednesday, October 21st, 2020, and today I'll be talking with Mo Markham from Waterloo Region on the Waterloo Moraine on the Grand River Watershed in Southern Ontario. Hi, Mo. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us about your experiences during the pandemic. So when did the pandemic start start for you, the COVID-19 pandemic? I guess early on when, you know, I, I couldn't even remember the date. I know it was early spring. It was still a bit cool out when it all started. It's kind of been uh, up and down. I think there was a lot more isolation early on here and then uh, things opened up more in the summer and of course things are closing a little bit more now but not as much as they were in the spring I think. Seems like one of the differences between the spring and now is PPE and masks. I'm not and also it seems like if you read the headlines in the newspaper now to say March it's like we're at the same spot in this whole ordeal. So what did you notice where you are with the pandemic and the changes in our lives? Well, I'm not sure about here, you know, whether it was that specific to, to where I live, but in the region, you know, things changed in terms of activism. That's what I do. A lot of activism around climate and also around animal rights and things definitely changed. A lot of things shut down in, uh, for all of those early on. You know, a year ago this time we were having rallies and things with uh, thousands of people. That's not happening now. You know, things changed. We were putting on a veg fest in Kitchener-Waterloo and we, we did that, but we ended up doing it online. So a lot of things went online. Smaller things uh, continued, but certainly there was a lot of, a lot more things happening online that would otherwise have been in person. And we did do another climate strike in September this year. Last year, we had over 5,000 people in, in uh, the square when we did it here in Waterloo Region. And this year, we, we did a shoe strike. So we put out empty shoes um, and boots to represent people and to get people thinking about climate and what, what's going to happen with our future. So... Could you explain what a shoe strike is in regards to climate change? I'm so essentially, I mean, with climate change, we're, you know, people are going to disappear if we don't do something about it and sooner rather than later. And probably even if we do do something, human beings are not going to survive. Many places there are already climate refugees because it's too hot or there's more, you know, I'm sure you've probably noticed that there are more and more storms, more and more violent storms. This is flooding, people lose their homes. So there are more and more climate refugees 
and that's just going to continue. There's fires, all of that. So it's, it's killing people already. It's going to continue to do that and it's going to continue to get worse. So the shoes are to represent people being gone. The empty shoes are there to represent people being gone, but also to help people to think about climate refugees. And also we chose to make it about people in our region who are who don't have homes. And so we also, because, you know, the poorest people, the most vulnerable people are the people who are being affected by climate first and marginalized people. And so we also made the strike about them, raising awareness about them. And, and we asked people to donate uh, warm shoes and boots, as well as just other you know, shoes and boots to represent people who are gone. All of the shoes and boots and things that were donated to, were brought to the strike, were donated to help people who are, are struggling right now financially and who don't have homes to go to. So how many pairs of shoes were out in this symbolic? I believe we had over 400 pairs of shoes that day. That was in September. Wow. And I know we talked in a pre-interview and I was really impressed with your, with your understanding and your ability to articulate the challenges that the world's facing. But you were explaining how COVID-19 and everything that's going on can be interpreted through climate change. Well, so there's a couple of different things. One, one thing is certainly, you know, what we're doing to the planet, not necessarily uh, specifically to climate, but what we're doing to our environment is we're encroaching more and more on the wild places um, that we still have. And we're, we're cutting down trees. We are destroying the planet more and more. And as we do that, we end up, we do that for, you know, urban sprawl. We do that for animal agriculture, you know, feeding people more and more meat, people wanting more and more meat. And that's, and that means we lose more trees, we lose more wild places. And so what's happening is we're, we're encroaching on those spaces and we're encroaching on the places where the wild animals live. And so we're, we're living closer to to them and so that diseases cross the species barrier more more easily because we're more in contact and some places that is you know some places like china where wild animals are eaten or wild animals are farmed many of them that that is happening because of that as well but many zoonotic diseases like covid-19 which is a zoonotic disease are because we are just encroaching on that 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 place there's there are way too many of us and way too many farmed animals now and not enough wild animals but the wild animals are losing their habitat and so you know, their habitat is chopped up more. So instead of, you know, like thousands of acres of forest, they might have an acre here and an acre there, right? So Fragmented, fragmented ecosystems. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's a part of it. That's a big part of, of you know, what we're going to see more and more of, more pandemics because of what we're doing as a species, what our species is doing is, is causing this sort of thing climate change to begin with, but also pandemics, and we're going to have more of them. So. One of my last interviews was with uh, Rebecca down in California, and she was she was explaining just how drastic these forest fires have become. And 
been paying attention to the news. It seems like we're having an abnormal, above average hurricane season. So I guess this yeah. would tie into what you were saying about the extreme weather. And is that linked to deforestation or? So what, well, what happens as the planet warms and deforestation is part of that because trees sink carbon for us, right? So as the planet warms, the storms get, and the, the oceans also get warmer and the storms build up over the oceans. They, they build, they get stronger and we are getting stronger and stronger storms than ever before because the oceans are warming. And again, we're doing that. Wow. Would there be a similar type of effect then with the Great Lakes? I'm just, I love Ontario's West Coast. I love a lot of the provincial parks that are there and the wild space. Mm -hmm. I was down at McGregor Point watching the the songbird migration, the red-breasted nuthatches in particular. And I was talking to some people physically distanced, of course, and they mentioned the tornado that went through Godrich in the last couple of years. And when I had been in Godrich, Somebody had pointed out still the footprint of where it had gone through the trees and whatnot. Yeah, and and I think the the lakes are warming as well. And of course, we're you know that whole ecosystem, the lakes and and the oceans, etc. We continue to take more fish out of the oceans than could possibly reproduce, and so we're we're slowly killing that that those ecosystems and we get most of our oxygen from the oceans, from the water. And, you know, if when the fish are gone and the scientists actually say we have about 30 years still of, of fish, if we continue at the rate that we are doing. And since when the, since they first started talking about that, we haven't changed what we're doing, but when the fish are gone, their ecosystem is going to die because they're an essential part of their ecosystem. Right? So, we're basically shooting ourselves in the foot. And then, and then we do other things. We talk about, we can, we can put together this vaccine and this, and even though there's other, there are other sources for some of the ingredients in the vaccines, they're, they're looking at sharks. They're looking at sourcing some of the ingredients from sharks. So they're going to kill off all these sharks, which also absolutely essential part of their ecosystem, right? So we're not look we're not big picture people. Wow, it's very complex and I also think about the Black Lives Matters rally. I grew up in Waterloo region as well. Right. So it's a pleasure to be talking to someone else who appreciates the Waterloo Moraine. Late spring, it was yeah, the, I think the early Black summer, Lives yeah. and there was 10,000 apparently 10,000 yeah. people. Yeah. doing and, a rally yeah. in downtown Kitchener. I mean, those types yeah. of numbers for a social justice issue or, or an equality issue I think that might be the biggest rally that Waterloo Region has ever seen. And I think it was really important. And I was there. And I I think it was important for us to be there because people are dying because of the color of their skin as well. And because of the social injustice that we're living with. Those things need to go hand in hand. And most of us who were there, I think, would not have simply gone out to something needlessly, but it felt like it was absolutely essential that we show that support and show that we are not going to put up with this. So social injustice and climate and climate injustice and injustice to animals, all of those things are interconnected and all of those things are absolutely essential that we pay attention to them, that we look at all of them together and how they interact. 
so like intersectionalism of all these different forms of dis systemic discrimination. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. And so it all ends up, you know, hurting all of us, right? We're all part of, basically, we're all part of our ecosystem, right? And our ecosystem, we're interrelated and everything that all of us do is connected to the others. And I think that it's crucial to, you know, think big picture on all of it. So what was it like that day in Kitchener with, with 10,000 people? It was really powerful. It was really thrilling to see so many people standing up uh, for what's right. I was really happy to see that there were a lot of young people there as well. And that it was really hard to hear a lot of the speeches. We tried getting closer, but of course they weren't expecting anything like the numbers that they got. And so it, you know, the speaker system wasn't uh, spectacular, but you know, what we did here was powerful and clearly the people speaking, you know, were uh, passionate about what was, what's happening and what has happened. And I think it's, it's absolutely crucial to, to continue that fight, you know, governments have used the pandemic to shut down protests in different areas. They have they used it to shut down uh, a lot of the indigenous protests that were happening this year, and they're going to continue to do that. And that's you know still part of the problem using using one problem to you know to to shut down the protests about another problem. You know, it's where where did that happen? Because that's troubling, considering that we're supposed to have a focus on reconciliation. Yeah. Well, oh, a lot of the indigenous protests were shut down. Sorry, that's me. Another device. Mo, I'm... you are very popular. <laughs> I know that there's an issue out, some structural racism and racism happening out to the Mi'kmaq. Uh, First Nations in Nova Scotia now. Yes, yes. Uh, around the protests. lobster fishery. Yes, and there are protests, you know, and across Canada around that. There are, you know, earlier this year, there were a lot of protests and they had shut down trains and other things. Those were all closed down. Right now in British Columbia, there are protests. Indigenous people are protesting around the pipelines uh, going through their land. That's all being shut down. You know, we talk about reconciliation on the one hand, but you know, what, what we're actually doing it has nothing to do with reconciliation. And um, last year, it was, it was when the RCMP went in to clear some of the First Nations groups around the pipeline issue that sparked off the coast-to-coast-to-coast solidarity yeah. actions. Is that correct? Yes, that's right, yeah. And then the pandemic... And it's back, they're, they're back arresting people again right now. And then the, and then the COVID-19 pandemic has then been used to kind of quiet social debate around those issues. So that's that's what I'm hearing from you. Well, they're trying to close down some of the protests because of it. And actually some provinces, the, the uh, province of Alberta has actually outlawed gathering to protest anything. Alarming. <laughs> I do is. recall um, reading that, in the Globe and Mail or the Toronto yeah. Star that the pipeline CEO or executive had said this was, a, or a minister, I can't remember exactly who said, now with the pandemic for COVID, this is a great time to push some of these controversial construction projects through. So sure. it's yep. interesting what you're saying does tend to line up with what I've been reading in the in the paper. And 
I, I got to admit, I'm not on the front lines on any of these debates, so it's good to talk to somebody who is. And what I'm gathering from our conversation is that the pande- the COVID-19 pandemic is just one of many pandemics we're facing. Structural inequality, environmental degradation. Oh, it's it's complex. Yeah. But and the racism certainly are- is a racism certainly is a pandemic, and that's well said. And I, I can't say that I'm on the front lines of any of those. I have participated in some of them. I'm not on the front lines of them, but it is a pandemic. We're actually, you know, seeing more and more what you know, how deep this racism goes, you know, and all of the, it was great to see, you know, millions of people across the world, you know, standing up and and saying no more, but it's still happening. Uh, People are still being killed because of the color of their skin. Fight's not over for sure. And yet during this COVID-19 pandemic, people are physically distancing, wearing their masks, washing their hands and speaking up. Mm-hmm. on these important issues. Have you noticed have you noticed now with the kind of the opening up coming into the second wave uh, some of these climate change issues that you've been talking about are people mobile continuing to mobilize and getting out there on those issues? I have to say people are a lot quieter on those issues uh, right now. I think people are pulled in a lot of different directions right now and Life has gotten more complicated for people, and I'm part of a number of climate groups in a couple of different cities, and things have been definitely quietened down quite a bit in that direction. And it it seems like people can't cope with this huge thing that is the pandemic and this huge thing that is climate, right? And what's more immediate for people right now is the effects of the pandemic, right? On their economic situations? Economic situations and having to stay home and having to work at home and having their kids not in school or in school, you know, is complicated too in school part of the time or, you know, on in school online. You know, everybody's kind of just coping with, with it. I have to I say heard, that... Go ahead. Sorry, I heard on the radio today that there is COVID... COVID has affected about 500, under 600 schools. And I think we have over 4,000 schools in Ontario. So yeah, it's definitely out there. Yeah, it's definitely out there. Anyone that I know with kids is, you know, it was a huge, huge struggle to decide whether to send their kids back to school or, you know, or not or homeschool them. It's a horrible decision. You know, you, you, you have to know that, you know, you could be putting your kids' health at risk. And it's not only the kids, right? The kids may be young and healthy. COVID can certainly be very, very detrimental to kids' lives if they do get it. But also when they come home, you know, they affect other family members too. So, but what I was going to say before in terms of climate change, one thing that I haven't said is I have that, that there's definitely, there are positives. And I would say one of the positives is that this has shown us that we can make change. We can make massive change and unprecedented change. And those are the things, you know, that's what we've been told um, by the the United Nations IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Thousands of scientists from around the world, they have told us we need to make massive and unprecedented change. And when they said that, they said that a couple of years ago and everybody's like, yeah, 
we can't do that, right? And then the pandemic comes along and guess what? We do that, right? We make massive and unprecedented change. So not always, you know, it's not aimed at changing things for the planet, but we know we can do it, right? We know we can change. And now all we have to do is get the will to change for the planet too, right? And to make that massive change. Our government's made huge change, right? We made huge change to going to work, not going to work, working at home. You know, we made massive changes. We can do that around climate. And we just what, have to get the will and the belief in it. And know? what better time to make positive changes yeah. than in such a tumultuous, conflict-ridden un- time of uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I read. I was reading your on the vegan blog, massive and massive and unprecedented change. And that's what I was going to ask you right when you brought that up. And what do you think some of these massive types of change could be? I, I, I think the pandemic, the COVID pandemic has shown us weakness with how we treat our seniors, how we value different jobs in the wage economy. Yep. Uh, what should we all be talking about to try to influence the policymakers in terms of positive social change coming out of this? So in, in terms of our own personal lives, one of the things that most, most people have uh, done is to either stop or largely curtail their travel. Satellites showed that the, the change to the air quality Etc. They could actually see uh, from above. He stopped doing so much travel. You know, I mean, if you think about it, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of planes in the air at any one moment, right? And if we stop most of that, you know, we can make massive change. The other thing that the pandemic has done is shown us the weakness in our system. One of those things is—I'll go back to this always because I think it's a huge part of the problem. But one of those weaknesses is our slaughter system, right? So many slaughterhouses had massive amounts of COVID cases. And first of all, it's a filthy business, right? And there's no way to do it without blood and gore, right? It's also very driven by money. And it also employs uh, many people who are marginalized, right? These are not the jobs that you or I want to do. You know, these are not the jobs that most Canadians want to do, right? They're crowded. They're uncomfortable. It does weigh on you taking a life of another species for human consumption. I mean, I want to say an ethical agriculturalist or pastoralist. I do raise animals for human consumption in my family. And you know, but I'll tell you that's not ethical. But I res- and I respect we have that's a difference another show. Of, I respect <laughs> we have a difference of opinion. But yeah. I, I think animals that are raised without sunlight, animals that are raised in very controlled environments, I don't feel comfortable with that. Also, the butchering system. Like I do remember, look that in the beginning of the COVID pandemic, that there was a lot of transmission because the people were working so closely in right. those facilities. And- Again, it comes back to it's all connected, right? They're marginalized people. They're not people who have a lot of choices. Most of them are immigrants. Many of them don't have citizenship yet. And so they can't just say, I'm not going to work today because there's this massive outbreak where I work. Right. And they don't have sick days. They don't have time off with right. pay. There's well, no. And of course, I mean, if you can't take a sick day because you're afraid of a pandemic. Right. 
And so the other part of it is, is that our government has their fingers in big business, right? And they are highly influenced by big business. And so when there were like the largest outbreak in Canada was around a slaughterhouse in Alberta, the Canadian government and the Alberta government did not force them to close, right? I think they might've closed for two weeks and then they reopened. Most of the workers are immigrants and, and marginalized people. Many of them were living together, driving to work together because they didn't have cars and slaughterhouse, of course, is out in the middle of nowhere. So all of these things are related. But back to the whether animals are warehoused or not, we have to think about the fact that, you know, we don't have room on the planet for all of the animals who are here today to be free range. So every time we're raising an animal, we're using land, we're cutting down trees. And even if you're not physically cutting down the tree, the tree has been cut down at some point to create that land so that an animal can be fed so that they can either graze or, you know, the the food used for them. So again, we are destroying habitat and we're used the word earlier, fragmenting habitat for wild animals. And so again, all comes back to, we don't have time for this, right? We don't have time to do this at all. And I don't think it's ethical for the animals, but I also don't think it's ethical for the planet and for the children who are here today. Every choice we make right now is about the children who are here today. Most of those children are not going to reach old age. And that, I mean, think about that. Let that sink in. Because of the choices that we are making right now, most of those children are not going to reach old age. And, you know, COVID is part of that. Pandemics, rather, are part of that but also the choices that we're making around climate and environment and the choices that we refuse to look at. I know all kinds of people who have started flying again. We can't go to the States, but they're going to Europe. They're going, and I I mean, that's not most of the people I know, but people are doing that again, right? It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. And I think every choice that we make, we have to think about who is this affecting in the long term, right? It's not just what I want in this moment. It's what's happening, you know, what's going to happen because of every choice that I make. and every. We need to think of the consequences Absolutely. of our collective global yeah. action on yeah. the environment, then the impacts on the children and the next yeah. generations. When you were mentioning- There, are, there the are no next generations if we don't stop doing what we're doing. And I, and, I, and I just, I try to interrupt people when they say that. There are no next generations if we don't stop doing what we're doing. We have to know that. I mean, we're at that stage where we are a tipping point where we have crossed many tipping points already. And we just we need massive, massive change. And we need it immediately. Yeah. And when you were talking about the, the slaughterhouses, it also made me think of the negative implications around the COVID and, and how it's demonstrated the migrant worker situation mm. and how. Right the conditions don't seem to be very favorable for, for those people who we rely on for our, for our produce harvest and whatnot in Southern Ontario. So very, Absolutely. very complex, and, but right yep. and wrong, moral and immoral. Yeah. That's pretty black and white. Right. And you're right. And I was thinking about that when we were talking earlier as well, you know, we, again, it's, it's a money driven system and our government is not intervening. Instead of putting billions of dollars into the slaughter system and to factory farming and saying that we're creating jobs, what we need to do is, you know, make sure that the jobs that we have are, people are being treated properly in the jobs that we have. And we're putting money towards a sustainable, uh, sustainable agriculture and insisting that workers 
in all of those all of those situations are treated properly, that they have proper rights, that they can't simply be fired for speaking out about their situation. And that has happened in some of the situations where farm workers are are brought into Canada for the harvest, et cetera. You know, and they spoke out about their 20 people together in a bunkhouse with one toilet and in the middle of a pandemic. When they spoke out about that, they got fired and they, they had to return to their country. They're from countries where they don't have the opportunity to make any money where they live. And so they come here so that they can make money for their families, right? And we also treat them as, you know, second class, well, not even second class citizens, because they have no opportunity to become citizens. Many of them have been coming here every year for six to nine months of the year to work in Canada for 20, you know, 20 or more years. And they still are not allowed to become Canadian citizens, you know? Again, it's all related, you know, social justice for the planet, social justice for the people on the planet and, you know, and for the animals, all of these things have to come together and, and we need to, to fight for uh, those rights for everyone. It's, it's interesting how there's such an intersectionalism of these, these important challenges facing humanity mm-hmm. and the many faces of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, Mo, it's been really exciting uh, talking to you. I know we agree to disagree on on some issues, but I think overall we both w- want what's best for the planet and you know the wildlife, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope we could maybe t- touch base with you again later on in the COVID nineteen pandemic on the pandemic show. I'd be happy to do that. Thank you so much for having me, Dave, and thanks for the work that you're doing. Thanks, Mo. All the best. You take care. Thanks for listening to this week's story from the pandemic. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemyshow.ca. Be a part of our community by rating, subscribing, and sharing the Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Stories from the Pandemic, for the people of the Pandemic.